0: Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news in the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now, on today's show, we're going to talk about Nintendo having a direct PlayStation's state of play, and we're going to finish it off by talking about Unity. But first, I want to talk about Square Enix. So last week, a Bloomberg report began making the rounds about Square Enix losing $2 billion in value since the launch of Final Fantasy Sixteen in June. And there was a lot of people kind of on both sides looking at the story. Some people were commenting on it in the ways of like, you know, uh, some of the headlines might be clickbaity because they, you know, are including Final Fantasy Sixteen and it kind of implies blame on Final Fantasy Sixteen, which I disagree with if a headline says hey, Square Enix has lost $2 billion since the launch of Final Fantasy sixteen. If you interpret that as like, well, that obviously means that it's all Final Fantasy 16's fault. Uh, that sounds like a you problem. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really, really wouldn't blame um, someone on that ha- headline. I actually don't even think the headline is, uh, is very clickbaity, right? It's just a matter of fact. The game launched. They lost $2 billion. If you read the body of... Uh, a lot of these articles that were commenting on this none of them said like oh this has to be all be all be because of Final Fantasy um, 16. I think anyone that's complaining about this is indicative of like two problems number one is people who only read headlines (laughs) so they'll read the headline for something and then they'll retweet it they'll make a comment on it and they'll say like oh you know this is unfair this is clickbaity um, I wish it was clickbait because clickbait meant that you probably would have read the article, but I'm sure a lot of people just aren't doing that. They just look at the headline and go, oh, you know, this, this doesn't seem, uh, you know, very, very fair. And, um, you know, of course it's not just up to Final Fantasy 16. That's not really the reason why they've lost, uh, value, but it is a part of the reason, right? When you are looking at your business in um in in uh, in quarters for example there are certain expectations for releases uh when you um, have an outlook for a future year in the year prior and there was a specific expectation for Final Fantasy 16 and it did not reach that expectation um so of course it is one of the reasons i don't think you can look at the launch of Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 16 and say you know, well that that's not uh, the reason. You know, unfortunately, we're at this moment when it comes to video games, especially when it comes to AAA gaming, where you really need to hit specific numbers in order to justify the type of budget that is being put behind these games. And for a game like Final Fantasy sixteen, a a numbered mainline entry into the the series, that's like, that's kind of one of those games that for Square Enix is almost like a blank check kind of game. You sort of look at it as like, here's the check, do whatever you need to do, because we feel comfortable that we're going to get healthy returns. But a healthy return is just, honestly, it's just no longer enough when you're talking about bringing value to uh, shareholders, which is, you know, one of the biggest problems. And, you know, we'll talk about that a lot with Unity when it comes to becoming beholden to shareholders and uh of course that's kind of one of the reasons like it did well but it did not do as well as they expected it to do dependent on the budget that they set to actually you know create that game but uh, of course it's more than just final fantasy 16 for me when i look at square enix a few of the problems is number one you, i have to talk about the lack of xbox support even like smaller games the you know final fantasy pixel remaster octopath traveler 2 I think they just announced something during the Nintendo Direct. Shoot, I, I, Saga Emerald Beyond was uh, a game that they showed during the Direct. That's coming everywhere. If I'm not mistaken, it's also coming to mobile. <laughs> I <If>, would <laughs> have to look into it, but I think it is also uh, launching on mobile, and uh, so it's iOS and Android. So it's coming to pretty much everything, Switch, PS4, PS5, PC, um, but just not Xbox. <laughs> it's just kind of one of those things where, yeah, you know, this is an instance of, yeah, you know, it's not like for Square Enix, you're being paid money to skip Xbox, right? So when you look at something like Final Fantasy VII Rebirth that comes out next year, there's money that PlayStation is paying you, and that money, you calculate it in a way of like, hey, this would probably make up either, probably not 100%, but a significant chunk of money that I would have made if I would have sold on Xbox. And that's what gives you, uh, excuse me, that that is what sort of motivates Square enix to skip Xbox when it comes to a game like Final Fantasy VII Rebirth or even just a Final Fantasy VII Remake, which still hasn't hit Xbox. I think it's going to hit soon. Uh, I don't think that they're going to keep it off Xbox forever. Personally speaking, I could be wrong, of course. Um, but yeah, that lack of Xbox support to me is, is pretty big. That's pretty significant. That's a lot of players that you're not reaching for whatever arbitrary reason there is. <laughs> I just can't, I can't imagine that, uh, the math would, the math, would not make sense? Especially for something like Octopath Traveler, a game that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, launched on Game Pass, was on Xbox. So you already have a base there, but then you're not bringing Octopath Traveler 2. I mean, look, maybe Square Enix has uh, some statistics that we don't. Um, but I think that is an issue when it comes to Square Enix not doing as well as they historically once did. The second thing, and I think that this particular bullet point is the most important one when it, when it comes to the amount of value that Square Enix has lost, because they've had a lot of flops they've they've invested a lot of money and they have not seen that proper return starting with marvel's avengers which was just a few years ago i think we have a, a, a a news piece on it and wrap it up just talking about the fact that the game is like four bucks right now and they're gonna delist it on september 30th so they are essentially deleting the game while letting people still play it, but it's almost like that they're leaving the game in order to save some, in order to essentially save money off of it. And I'm sure at some point, they're going to shut off the multiplayer servers, right? So you start off with Marvel's Avengers, which definitely was not cheap, to secure all those licenses that they did uh, for that game. Then you look at everything else, Outriders, which was supposed to be another service game, you know, launched, I feel like I had a a really big launch. They partnered with Game Pass. They put it day one on Game Pass. It was one of those really big surprises. I remember like, oh my God, Outriders on Game Pass. I remember playing, I think they had like a beta or demo or something like that. Instantly did not like it. I just felt like it just wasn't doing enough in terms of originality for a video game. And I remember calling it from the very beginning. I was like, this game is just not gonna do very well. And I was right, unfortunately, it's... Um, and the game just never, ever found its footing. Unfortunately, I also have to talk about Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, a game that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I think it it critically did really well. Commercially, unfortunately, it did. It, and I blamed the marketing department uh, for that. I actually blamed the marketing department for a lot of these uh, failures. <laughs> I feel like, I've said this before, Square Enix really needs to restructure their marketing department. They're just not very good. When I think about Guardians of the Galaxy, that's like a prime failure of marketing that, um, you know, the game came out critically, it did well, but they just did not make the right decisions in terms of how to actually sell that game, how to actually convince people to purchase this game. And, and you're talking about one of the most beloved IP when it comes to Marvel because of the films, the films, that trilogy. I mean, look, in my personal opinion, it's the greatest uh, Marvel trilogy that they've done. But I think even if you don't agree with that, the majority of people would agree that Guardians of the Galaxy, all three of those films were really good. Um, so it's kind of crazy how that game didn't do well, and it is such a great game. Then uh, you have these others, uh, Bale in Wonderland, Complete Flop, Babylon's Fall. That was the game that they shut down within a year. Uh, and then, of course, we have Forspoken, which led to the complete closure of an entire studio because of how poorly it did um and it's funny because when you look at some of these babylon's fall Forspoken, both of those were playstation exclusives marvel's avengers that was one that they paid extra money to have spider-man exclusive to playstation or excuse me not paid extra money i'm sure they got extra money from uh, playstation to do that um but I know that that turned off a lot of people for some of the for some of the other consoles. Um, and then, last but not least, now Square Enix has no Western studios. Right? They sold Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal for a bag of chips, pretty much. They lost access to Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, uh, Legacy of Kane, just a lot of, in my opinion, uh, pretty good IP that still had a lot of life left in it, especially Tomb Raider. Um, and I think that's another problem for them going forward is now they have no Western studios and everything that they have produced, which was sort of made with a Western audience in mind, including Final Fantasy 16 has not done very well for them. And, um, yeah, now they find themselves in this really weird position where in my opinion Square Enix is now absolutely heading for a purchase where where i'm sure there are you know people at at playstation wanting to have those discussions about purchasing square enix especially as the value of the company continues um to fall and uh you know we'll see how it goes for them in the uh in the future but really everything that they're doing is either final fantasy or it's a lot of rpg stuff obviously there's still the next kingdom hearts on the, on the horizon rebirth is early next year uh, but everything else that they're doing is, is really is, is it's just a string up rpg machine and i don't think that's really enough uh nowadays for a uh, for a publisher um so yeah we'll have to wait and see if they actually turn that around Now to our next story, Nintendo. Nintendo announced a Direct last week. Um, So yeah, let's just quickly go over some of the things that they showed off. They opened it up with this Splatoon 2 side order DLC. And look, I don't know if it was just me, if it was the stream. I had rewatched the trailer. It just doesn't look very good. I wonder if it's just like, you know, the Switch is just starting to really show its age. Actually, that's like the number one thing that I took from a lot of the stuff that was shown off it just that combined with everyone sharing Mortal Kombat 1 footage for Nintendo Switch this really shows you how the Switch is definitely starting to to show its age and it it, it's pretty much set in stone right now that a Switch 2 is coming next year or as I've been saying for years I still believe it's a new Nintendo Switch but this is one of those games that looked like that where I was like oh my god this this thing does not look very good at all. They announced a Mario versus Donkey Kong remake that's coming February 16th. That game came out on the, I don't remember, I think it was the 3DS, if I'm not mistaken. It was the DS or the 3DS. I can't really remember. Uh, I remember playing it. It it was okay. It was kind of like a little uh, puzzle game. Um, I think the I guess craziest but not so craziest thing about it is that they are charging $50 for it, which I think is kind of insane. This to me is like a a very, it should be a very sweet $40. I think $40 is like a a sweet point for this Uh, because this is uh, a game that I think for the younger audience, I don't think it really works very well, um, for example. So I I don't don't know. I think $50 is, is just a little bit, too much i think 40 would have been a nice sweet point but of course they feel they can they can sell it for 50 they're going to do that more power to them they showed off prince of persia the lost crown january 18th and man this thing did not look good (laughs) like i remember seeing all the other footage from prince of persia i'm like man this game looks amazing like i said the switch is just is really starting to uh to show its age uh Horizon Chase 2 which is like a racing game that launched the same day super crazy Rhythm Castle November 14th something called Spy Anya Operation Memories that launches next year they showed some new footage for the Super Mario, super Mario RPG remake that's coming November 17th that just honestly looked really well but uh really good it's still something that I'm 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 baffled that um Nintendo actually did very very surprised by this move. Uh, it, you know, some people are complaining that it's $59.99. I actually do agree with that price point. I do believe that $59.99 is the right price point for the Super Mario RPG remake. Like I said, given their history, given the fact that it is essentially rebuilt from the ground up, you could tell they're they're doing a lot when it comes to the art style and doing a lot to keep the spirit of the original game while also modernizing it i think 59.99 is is actually a good um price point for it but uh yeah this is interesting because this alongside um the uh the paper mario announcement which was the last announcement we'll, we'll talk about when we get there they're both these very sort of hyper focused audiences when it comes to the mario kingdom and when a lot of people ask themselves like why, why why did it take this long to e- either reintroduce Super Mario RPG or do something else, Super Mario RPG, uh, same thing with Paper Mario, Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door, a lot of people consider the definitive Paper Mario and they feel like Paper Mario has been sort of dumbed down a bit when you think of like, like Sticker Star and all the other ones that, that came out recently. And the reason why you th- you look at it as dumbed down, but Nintendo looks at it as broadening, right? So they, they, they take a game and they say, this has Mario in it, but it's not a mainline Mario game. We could continue to go down this path a thousand year door, but you're basically selling to a subset of a subset of a subset of your audience. Whereas if you were to change the game a bit and broaden it, Uh, now you're opening the potential audience, the amount of people that are are going to buy it. And I think I look at these almost as a a little bit like in an essence of two things. Number one is that Nintendo believes that that core audience, right? When they look at the amount of people that they have open to sell to, over 100 million people that own Nintendo Switches, you kind of have to use your data to do a bit of math to try to figure out if I create this product, how many of those 100 million people are going to buy it? Because you know that Super Mario Brothers Wonder is absolutely going to outsell the Super Mario RPG remake. Mario Brothers Wonder will absolutely outsell that Paper Mario game. But you go into those remakes when you know when you make the decision years ago, right, that you think that that subset of a subset, that core audience, those amount of people, that satisfies the development of that game. And you're going to notice during this directives that there are a lot of remakes, the Mario versus Donkey Kong remake, the Super Mario RPG remake, uh, Luigi's Mansion 2, um, uh, even uh, the F-Zero game, which we'll talk a little bit later, the uh, Paper Mario remake. Th- these are what we call stopgaps. A stopgap is basically, you know, you have the majority and the biggest chunk of your team dedicated to making games to take advantage of this new hardware that's supposed to be launching next year. And in the interim, right, when you're planning everything out three, three, four years in advance, you sort of look at it in the way of like, hey, we need something to fill that gap between these uh, two releases, because Nintendo has really kept to their promise of a consistent, release schedule they really have done a, a really great job when it comes to nintendo switch with that where if you bought a nintendo switch you are very satisfied as a, as a consumer because you are getting a lot of great third-party support but you're also getting pretty consistent first-party support something that playstation xbox are nowhere near close when you calculate the amount of games that a first-party publisher puts out They come nowhere close to uh, Nintendo when it comes to this. In a span of, you know, uh, six months, I believe it's probably about like a six month window. You have that Splatoon 2 side order DLC, that Mario versus Donkey Kong remake, that RPG remake, the Princess Peach game, Detective Pikachu Returns. You have uh, the Luigi's Mansion 2 HD, the F-099 drop, WarioWare Move It, uh, the last wave of that Mario Kart 8 DLC, and then you have Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door, um, which maybe could release in, in, in a six-month one. I'm not 100% sure, because I, I don't think they put a date on it. I think that they just said 2024. So when you look at at, at that type of consistency, it's really, uh, when you look at the, the type of content, it really is just, um, what do you call it, a, a stopgap just basically putting something in place while the rest of your team is working on everything else. That's why I believe that Metro Prime 4 is probably a launch title, that I think we are going to see the return of something like Star Fox uh, in, in in new Nintendo Switch. But everything else that you're, you're, you're building, maybe if it is, for example, Super Mario Odyssey 2, for example, or a brand new 3D um, Mario game, you're better off keeping that just for uh, the next console so you can get off to a strong start a lot of people forget that that the nintendo switch got off to a really strong start when when, with the combination of zelda mario kart 8 for example um and nintendo has a really great opportunity to reintroduce a lot and sort of repackage some of their games for the new nintendo switch uh in order to get that going but uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's I commend them for doing that for for looking at those games, Super Mario RPG and Paper Mario, for example, and saying yeah, we think that core audience has grown enough where we will be satisfied with the sales of this to justify the creation of this game. I don't think that they expect this to be you know seven you know fifteen million seventeen million seller type of thing. Um, if if it does, wow, that's great. Uh, if it doesn't, that they're they're okay. They know that they're gonna um be satisfied with uh with their uh with their return and i know i saw some people actually I'll i'll leave that to the to to the next when we talk about paper mario uh going forward we have another code recollection january 19th princess peach showtime march 22nd this game the yeah just uh this this game looks like it's something really good for like a younger audience um But I don't think this one has very broad appeal compared to something like, uh, you know, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, for example. Um, Yeah, I don't know. This game to me is also just a very strong indicator of like stopgap. You know, It, it just looks like something that's a lot smaller, a little bit shorter, just not that many resources are being pumped into it uh it you know what it reminds me of this and some of these other announcements they just remind me of like ds games like in terms of uh content you know in terms of the types of games that they are they feel very small this princess Peach showtime game feels very um like i said it just feels very small it looks like it could be kind of fun like i said probably for a younger audience but not something that i think has like crazy crazy appeal And I think that's also another reason why we're seeing this on Nintendo Switch. You know, this is essentially a brand new game, right? But it's also not something that they're like, no, we should save this for Switch 2. I think they look at it as like, ah, you know, let's not go too super crazy on it. I think it could be one of our sunset titles, one of the last titles that we put on Nintendo Switch. I think that's that's really good to do. Then we have uh, the announcement saga Um, Emerald Beyond coming in 2024 tomb raider trilogy remaster was kind of a surprise coming february 14th i have absolutely no idea why this even exists i'm gonna be honest with you this is kind of one of those things where i don't think it's really worth remastering that game i think a lot of us look at tomb raider and we remember it like i distinctly remember playing tomb raider when it came on playstation it was really one of those like technically impressive games for its time Um, but I don't think it really has stood the test of time very well. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you can modernize it. But I, I have zero reason to, uh, to want to play that personally. I, yeah, uh, I wonder how, how well that's going to do. Then we have, uh, Detective Pikachu returns October 6th. Trombone champ coming to switch. That was the same day release. Contra operation Galuga, which looks awful (laughs) like yeah i think that if you're going to bring bring back contra don't um do something where it's like almost like indicative of like contra where it's like oh this is inspired by contra and you can see that inspiration um or whatever it is um you're better off just giving me the pixel art of the original Contra, I think that would do way better than trying to do this modern 2.5D sort of style. It just doesn't look very good. I think you would actually get a lot further if you just made it pixel. Like pixel art games are still very extremely popular um, nowadays, and I think that that would do much, much better. You know, what I would do is almost like take just the original Contras including like Alien Wars Contra 3 and just sort of rehash those in a sense and I don't know build some sort of story around something like that but I, I I would probably go pixel art uh if I was in charge of this Unicorn Overlord uh looked pretty cool if you like those types of strategy games March 8th Luigi's Mansion 2 HD that's coming summer 2024 this game looked awful just awful This is coming from like the world's biggest Luigi fan. Um, Once again, pure stopgap title. You can see it. It's definitely not running in the Luigi's Mansion 3 engine, which is still one of the best looking games that Switch has ever released. It, It literally is just an HD upgrade. They're taking that 3DS game and they're just kind of cranking things up. It looks awful. It just does not look very good. It doesn't look like it runs very well. Um... Yeah, it, it just, it really is a perfect indication right here of a stopgap title. It's like, look, we need the majority, majority on our team making sure that our year one and year two are very, very strong for this new Nintendo Switch. We need you to build this very small team and, and just upgrade, he upgrade of Luigi's Mansion 2. I'm sure that's what that, that there's probably a complete meeting of people, you know, uh, in, in Japan of of people trying to come up with like what can we dip back into, and just re-release and and, and remake for uh, our newer consoles. And obviously, some games got uh, more attention than others when you look at the RPG, even the Donkey Kong versus Donkey Kong remake, Luigi's Mansion 2, Unfortunately, it didn't uh, it didn't get that thumbs up. <laughs> it was just basically like yeah, just HD re-releases do that. Uh, they announced that the Nintendo Museum in Japan is opening March 2024. Then we had F Zero 99. Yeah, I, I personally don't get it. I don't. I, I've never understood these 99 battle royale games from uh, Nintendo. They look like very nice distractions. You know, they're included in the Switch Online. That's the only way to access them. This kind of looks like something you would play maybe like once or twice and then just never. Um, sort of play it again um yeah i don't really have much more <laughs> input to put into it when i was watching some footage of it i was like i this just uh, the, to me it just doesn't look like fun at all to be racing with 98 other people on the same track but to each of their own Tale, a league of Legends story 2024 song of Nunu, a league of Legends stories november 1st those two actually look pretty cool warrior wear move it november 3rd still don't understand why When Nintendo went into mobile games, they never made a mobile version of WarioWare. That just seems like a no-brainer to me. IUDIN Chronicle 100 Heroes, April 23rd, 2024. Dave the Diver coming to Switch. Uh, That is the first consoles coming to October 26th. It's coming to other consoles at some point. The last wave of the Mario Kart 8 booster pack. We have uh, Daisy Circuit from Wii, and then they announced the last four... Racers, Diddy Kong, Funky Kong, Pauline, and Peachette is coming this holiday. A new Among Us map is coming in October. And then finally, the Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door remake coming in 2024, which looks really, really good. Now, the one thing that I wanted to touch on as some people were, were bringing up is the fact that uh, it looks like they're kind of touching on a lot of older stuff that was probably a little bit more niche, things that they haven't touched in a while. The Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door the paper sorry not not paper mario the super mario rpg f-zero which is a game that people haven't um talked about and i saw a lot of people online talking about guys we got to buy this buy the paper mario thousand year door that will show nintendo that this is the paper mario we want buy you know download that f Zero ninety nine. 99 this is showing nintendo that f-zero is what we want unfortunately that's not how any of this works <laughs> um there is no amount of people that can buy that Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door that will convince Nintendo that this is the direction that they should exclusively look for for the future of Paper Mario. It's just not going to happen. When you when you broaden the type of game, you're 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 uh, instantly opening that up to a brand new audience. And part of broadening, right, and opening it up to potential uh consumers part of it is the ease like how easy is this thing to play and i don't think that the sales of these games really influence those types of decisions in the future i think what they do influence is the fact that if that core number of people that buy it right that subset of a subset were in this game were to do really really well i think for nintendo that's sort of an indication that you know, maybe this is a series that we can—I want to say—split in two, but something that we could look at in terms of can we build something a little bit smaller to satisfy that that crowd and make it make sense? But I think for a broader audience, they look at something a little bit—I guess—watered down would probably be the, the the term to use here. Something like a sticker star which I absolutely hated compared to like the original Paper Mario. I don't think that sales really influence um, something like that. It really is more like internally. Like people, the developers internally are really the ones that push these types of changes. Uh, And they're really the ones that that, that say like, this is the way that this game is supposed to be. If we're going to build this type of game, this is the way that it should be. Um, and we really shouldn't, these decisions shouldn't be really be made just purely financially. And, um, I'm sure a lot of them are really excited about this decision being made about remaking Paper Mario and the thousand year door. And I think it is going to do really well. Uh, but the same applies for Super Mario RPG. I think that, uh, there are enough sales there to make them go, whoa, maybe we need to make another Super Mario RPG. I don't think so. Um, Because Nintendo's always looking for that balance. Where you notice that Super Mario RPG, it's not like everything is... That's not like their de facto holiday game, right? The de facto holiday game comes out October 20th, right? That's Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Super Mario RPG remake, it's not like we're putting all those eggs in that basket because, you know, let's market it. We really need it to do really, really well. No, the eggs are going in the the Wonder basket (laughs) because they know that's the one... That uh, that is going to sell really, really, really well and blow the doors off the hinges when it comes to selling this console over the holiday, especially when it comes to uh, maybe capturing some new sales. People have never owned a Switch before, um, so I think that I think they always look at it as sort of like a, a balance. If every single Nintendo Switch downloads F Zero, that's not an indicator that oh my god, people really want F Zero. The reason why there is no F-Zero, if people are wondering why there's not, number one is the skill ceiling for that type of game. Nintendo is always looking and seeking for that balance. That's one of their, if you look at a moment of growth that happened within the company, when you think about the changes that they made with the type of game that they've done within the last seven years, is that they always carefully consider a skill ceiling of a video game. And for something like F-Zero, once again, it's a very core audience. And to them, it's very important. Like, um, you know, when a game is made, there are some games that they know, okay, this is not gonna be an evergreen title. This is not something that we're gonna keep selling forever. But if they're going to um, put together a proper budget for a video game, that is one of the things that they consider, they want it to be that type of game. And when you think about a racing game, if you're at Nintendo and you're thinking about pumping money into a racing game, you, you're you better off, you know, budgeting and, and and funding a Mario Kart 9 better off than you are uh, funding another F-Zero game. I think this is kind of like a product of social media where people think that there's enough people that love F-Zero that Nintendo could drop one it would do really, really well. Uh, no, there's not. You know, uh, the people that love F Zero, the people that are really excited, that would buy that game day one, you guys are a very, very small audience. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people forget that uh, more people know Captain Falcon from Smash than they do F Zero. I guarantee you you ask a younger audience in their teens uh show them a picture of captain falcon and i guarantee you nine out of ten of them will be like oh yeah from super smash brothers falcon punch like absolutely none of them probably know unless they went into like the the historical gallery within super smash brothers they're not gonna know that guy was from f-zero they know him from super smash brothers so downloading those f-0 99s that's not something where you talk like People on Nintendo, are like, oh my God, guys, this is the proof we need. We we can we can make another F Zero. Like, no, you're just showing that, oh, there's nostalgia. Either A, there's nostalgia, or B, there's a lot of people downloading it because it's a new free game. Not free, I guess, but it's a new game that's included in your subscription. You're not paying more for it. So that's gonna drive a lot of downloads. It's not you know, if you're playing an older version of F Zero, that's really uh, indicative of the original Super Nintendo. That's not an indicator to Nintendo that, oh my God, this is it. This is the time for us to make it zero. That's not, unfortunately, that's not really how it works. Next story, state of play. PlayStation had a state of play. Nothing super crazy, uh, but I actually liked it. I like these, sta- these sort of state of plays. Very small, very tight. Just giving updates on uh, things that you might be excited about. They opened up with Baby Steps, that game that's being made by the guy who made Getting Over It. That looks kind of, it's kind of a game that to me, uh, it's like, oh, that looks kind of fun. But it's it's not a game that to me, I don't, I don't think I pay full price for that game, to be honest with you. I probably, I, I want to see a little bit more of it. All the footage we've seen has been sort of in this muddy forest area. I wouldn't know what else there is uh, to it. But this actually kind of looks like something that PlayStation would add to their Library, their PlayStation Plus extra premium library day one. They've done this before where they're they've been showing off this indie game and this looks like it looks like they're um, giving them some prime real estate, right? Letting them open up a state of play, and then they go on to when they announce the release date, it comes to PlayStation Plus. That's something. If it does come to PlayStation Plus, I would probably sign up for a you know a single month uh, to to play it. It does look like a. It looks like it could be a bit of fun. Uh, Roblox coming to PlayStation 4 on October 10th. They showed out some PSVR 2 games, Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord, and then the Resident Evil 4 remake. Um, the only thing that looked new there was they showed him dual wielding revolvers. That's definitely not something that is in the base game. So that's kind of cool that they're introducing maybe things that are not in the uh, original game. I uh, finished the original story, no exaggeration, like twelve times. I played through the rescue for rebake. I started like essentially speed running the place I had it on PlayStation Five. I um, I got myself down to like two hours or something like that without using any glitches. I love that game. Um, yeah, it would be something I would love to replay in VR, but I'm sorry, I'm not paying. for something just for a single video game it's not going to happen and you know it's still kind of sad PlayStation just they literally did exactly what I said they would years ago which is introducing the PlayStation VR 2 and then completely abandoning it Um, they announced Horizon and then that's it (laughs) PlayStation has has showed zero support for PlayStation VR 2 it's so incredibly sad and I feel bad for anyone who bought it they also showed the uh, separate ways uh expansion coming September 21st, alongside Mercenaries update. Um I, I myself thought like, oh man, it's been it's like been too long uh, for this. I don't know if I'll play it, but it's $10. So since it's $10, bucks, I probably will download it. I think they got me. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora um showed off some new footage December 7th. Honestly, I I feel like this is a game that if you're not a fan of the movies, I don't think there's really anything here for you. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. I've, I haven't seen either of the films, just not a fan of it, just doesn't look very appealing to me. And when I look at the game, I'm like, there's really nothing here for me. I feel like if you don't know anything about Avatar, um, you're not getting this. I, I think this game is not going to do very well purely because even though Avatar is a really, really large large audience, you have to ask yourself how many of those people that, you know, put this film on like number one and number two on box office of all time, how many of those people actually play video games? And I I don't think that it's that big. Um, I actually think that this should not have been a first person shooter. I think that was a mistake. I think this actually would have worked a lot better if it was a third person action game, but That's just, that's just, that's just me. This literally just looks like a Far Cry Avatar mod, in my opinion. But to each their own, if you're excited for it, that comes out December 7th. Ghost Runner 2, there was a demo available same day. Helldivers 2 coming to PS5 and PC. They uh, put a date on it. Technically, it's a delay. I think it was supposed to come out later this year. February 8th, 2024. This is a brilliant delay. You gotta get over this year. It's just way too saturated this holiday season um so february that's a, a really good date for that um type of game i don't know to me it looks okay but yeah not not super sold on it personally tales of arise beyond the dawn november 9th honkai star rail october 11th foam stars aka uh, uh, you know foamy splatoon um they announced a beta with two modes, Smash the Star and Happy Bass Survival, September 29th through October 1st. Uh, I might actually try these. This is open beta. I might give it a try. Uh, and then they closed it off with Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, February 29th. The trailer confirmed that the game will not be available in other formats at least until May 29th, 2024. So a lot of people are saying that that probably means that it's going to come to pc a lot sooner uh i don't think that this is going to come to xbox by that time i don't think that's happening but look tokyo game Show is next week i absolutely could see final fantasy 7 remake being announced and, and coming to to xbox it's, it's just been that long <laughs> that it hasn't been released on on xbox and i think it actually would do really well But so, obviously you know we'll have to wait and see how that goes And last but not least, one of the biggest things that they showed off was Spider-Man 2. So I wanted to talk about that for a little bit. Um, You know, I've been obviously anticipating this game for a while. I actually enjoy that PlayStation hasn't really been... I don't know. I feel like recently I've been enjoying when companies don't really talk about games (laughs) anymore. Like, I feel like before... It's almost like um, there was this moment in time with video games where it felt like a movie trailer that just gave away too much. You guys remember like sometimes you'll see a trailer and you, you kind of just walk away from it and go like, wow, I feel like I've seen the whole movie. And sometimes I feel like that with video games where I want to be you know, surprised and delighted for when a video game launches. And I think especially when you have a team like Insomniac and a publisher like PlayStation, you you sort of have the the trust to be able to do something like that. Like you have the trust from your fan base, you have the trust from from consumers that are gonna pick up the game day one that I don't really need to know or see a lot to understand a the type of game I'm getting, B the type of quality that I'm going to get out of that video game. And I feel the same with Spider-Man 2 where it's like, yeah, hey, you guys really don't really have to even have to show me too much to uh, sell me on the game so um, they did confirm and show off a bit of Brooklyn and Queens which is really cool I think my one early gripe when thinking about the game is or or them talking about the game is that uh, I'm afraid that they haven't really addressed the differences in the boroughs when it comes to Manhattan Brooklyn and Queens there are these sort of like really fundamental differences between those um three boroughs and it looks like architecturally they're getting it correct like i was looking at looking at the bridges and the orientation of everything i was like okay this actually looks pretty accurate right here and i could pinpoint and you know see different neighborhoods especially here in, in, in brooklyn you know, Greenpoint, uh, green and things like that but uh i am a little bit I, i'm 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 wondering about if there are these cultural differences between the different boroughs and if you can feel and see them when you're in these different boroughs i'm I'm really hoping that they kind of put these put that into the game, and it's not just like yeah, Queens is a lot of homes for example, instead of like these big buildings and in, in uh in Manhattan, and I'm kind of curious as to how that plays into the gameplay and swinging around for example. Um, but uh yeah, overall, you know, I like that they're holding the cards close to their chest. There has been a lot of, there are like some media previews after the state of play. I haven't really read or seen anything. I'm, I'm just kind of one of those people where I know I'm going to buy the game. I know I'm going to get the day one. I know it's going to be a very stable, amazing release, They confirmed that they were able to get the game running with ray tracing at 60 FPS. They have these different modes. I think it's 30, 40, 60, I think it is, which is just incredible. You know, Insomniac has, I mean, Insomniac is still to this day the greatest, I feel, the greatest acquisition that any of the big three have done. You know, you look back and you feel like PlayStation got away with, you know, robbery pretty much for being able to secure that studio for, a measly i think it was like 230 245 million or something like that and the amount of output that they've been able to put out is just amazing and the fact that we know what's next after this which is wolverine um but yeah everything about this game is literally exactly what i want out of a sequel right it's it's expanding it there's more cities um they they still are in my opinion the king of the PlayStation the kings of the PlayStation hardware in terms of really getting that thing to work. And I think that's one of the other things that I love about PlayStation and their studios. When they when when a PlayStation studio creates a game, you really feel like they took full advantage of that hardware. And they are the it's almost it almost really sort of reminds me a little bit of Nintendo in a sense. When a Nintendo game is released and is created when you think about something like Tears of the Kingdom. You go like, yeah, this team that is owned by the same people that make the hardware get the best out of this, uh, out of the hardware. And you feel the same with PlayStation. Um, You see it in Horizon and you see it now with Spider-Man 2 where it's like, man, these guys are just the best when it comes to utilizing everything that this machine is capable of and you see it with the fast travel technology that they built in which is one of the most mind-blowing things I've ever seen in a video game ever ever easily the um the fact that you can fast travel and you know I I saw that transition had to be like 200 times <laughs> or or you know not exaggerate maybe a couple dozen times uh from that take of play where they transition from the map into gameplay with miles and you think about how technically difficult that is to go from a flat 2D map and it, it zoom in, you see it go from 2D to 3D and you see those buildings populate in that virtual style, that purple style. And then as it zooms in, these buildings transition to their into their actual 3D environment. Then you see mouse swoop in with the web wings uh, and it's all done in, in, in real time. And from the moment they hold down that button to fast travel, when that bar fully fills up, it's, le- it's probably like two seconds or something like that. And, you know, when Miles has his web wings and is going around, that looks uh, like you don't have control just yet. But at some point it transitions. So it's, it's almost like the full top to bottom or front to back of of that fast travel from holding that button somewhere like five seconds until you have full control of the character really really amazing stuff from that team and it's just cool once again to see insomniac really taking um that hardware over to the next level just absolutely amazing stuff now our final story we're going to talk about unity and this announcement that they made last week so for those that don't know, Unity is one of the fastest-growing game engines in our industry. And it's a game engine that a lot of indies use. Uh, and part of that reason was because of uh, the cost, the pricing strategy of of Unity, the access to their uh, assets. It's just a really good way for even very small one, two, three-person teams to really build something substantial, you know, like Among Us was built using Unity, and that was I think it was like a three-person team. But other games, Cuphead was built on Unity. Um, what else was built on Unity? Pokemon Go. So even larger games like that, Genshin Impact is built on uh, Unity. Hollow Knight. So it's a it's a really strong engine. You know, it, for, for the, I would say for the last few years, it really has been the choice of engine really has been Unreal versus Unity. Uh, because especially, obviously, if you're a first-time developer, right? You're not building your own game engine. Like, you know, Rockstar has their own game engine. Uh, Capcom has their own game engine for Resident Evil. You're absolutely not doing that, and those aren't publicly available. So from publicly available options... For people that were uh, in these smaller teams, Unity really was uh, the engine to go to. So Unity has been doing really well over the last few years. And I would say in terms of just goodwill, in terms of recommendations, in terms of people saying like, hey, it's my first time, I've never made a game before. And a lot of people saying like, hey, you should learn Unity. And essentially, last week, Unity took all that goodwill and basically just destroyed it in, in a single blog post. Um, so basically what they did was they started, they introduced what's called a Unity Runtime Fee. And according to Unity, when a game is made by Unity and it is then installed locally on a system, so you install a Unity-made game on your cell phone, on Xbox, on your PC, part of that installation process is installing what's called Unity Runtime, which is a... Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher the, the technicals of this. I'm sorry if I do. But it's sort of like a little bit of like a back end to get that game um, to run. It's a proprietary technology. And Unity believes that since every time a game is installed, it also has to install the Unity Runtime fee. They believe that they should be paid every single time that a game install that Unity Runtime fee. Now remember, excuse me, Unity Runtime. Remember, you can't have one way out the other. The moment that you download Genshin Impact, part of that install is Unity Runtime. And they believe that every single install they should be making some money off of. So what they did was, if you are subscribed to Unity Personal and Unity Plus, you'll be charged a fee um, from the moment you meet this threshold which is either $200,000 or more is what you're generating in the last 12 months. And you have at least 200,000 lifetime game installs. If you are Unity Pro or Unity Enterprise, your threshold begins at a million dollars and 1 million lifetime game installs. They also restructured their plans and got rid of one of their most popular tiers, which was Unity Plus, And that was a year so if you use unity personal it is free there's no upfront cost for it for something like unity plus it was $400 and I think that's $400 per seat so if you have uh three people developing your game you have to pay $400 for each of them in order to get a seat um the next plan up was unity plus which is now the cheapest plan (laughs) That is 2040 per year. And I think that if you go up to Unity, I, think, I want to say it's either Pro or Enterprise. I can't really remember which one it was. Then you're talking about upwards of $4,000 per seat. And obviously the more you pay, the more features you have access to. But what they did was that a lot of features that Unity Plus subscribers are used to are now moved over into uh, Unity Pro, which as I said, is now the cheapest one, that's 2,000. And I think the enterprise one is like 4,000 4, or something like that, I can't remember. So some of those baseline features that you used to be, have access to with Unity Plus was the removal of the Unity splash screen. So most Unity games, you won't know they're made in Unity because when it starts up, you just see the, the developer or the publisher logo if you don't pay at least $2,000, you cannot remove the Unity Splash screen now. So now it's essentially in a way they sort of have brute forced advertising for themselves. Because if you're a smaller developer, especially if you're on something like Personal, maybe at some point you would have been able to uh, get together $400 for you to at least been able to take that screen down. Now you don't have that. You also don't have access to um, sort of an advanced analytics, where you can analyze how well your game is doing. Uh, that's something that is no longer that used to be on Plus. Now it's in Pro. So they've essentially increased the price of Unity in in a single sitting <laughs> because you know you're either going for f- for the free personal plan or you're paying like two two thousand dollars a year. But obviously, the biggest problem was this whole install thing uh, which I'm gonna have to pull up the chart I think it was 20 cents I Think it was yeah so if you're 200,000 so if you have that personal or plus if you reached that threshold 200,000 dollars in the last 12 months and 200,000 lifetime installs you're going to be paying 20 cents per install and then that amount goes lower and lower depending on where you land so if you're Unity Enterprise, you have a million plus installs per month that you're paying a penny per install. So if you're something like Genshin Impact, for example, where you're having this crazy amount of installs, this probably isn't really affecting you as much. But the problem when it comes to this is this is something that Unity claims will only affect 10% of their publishers. But the, the problem is that this is going to heavily affect smaller developers. Now at first when it was, this was announced people were thinking and myself included were thinking okay what's going to stop people from organizing a uh, a boycott or something like that and instead of review bombing you they're basically install bombing you where they're un- uninstalling and reinstalling a video game just to rack up your bill. Now that's how it was at first Unity then changed it and Unity um updated I think there was their frequently asked questions And they said that the initial install is the only one that counts. So once I install it on PC, if you meet that threshold, that install, you have to pay Unity 20 cents. Now the problem though, is that Unity does not, um, Unity still counts multiple installs for the same user if it's different devices. So if I were to buy your indie PC game and I install it on my PC and then I install it on a laptop, which I'm welcome to do if I have, you know, for example, do something like Steam. And then I install it on my Steam Deck. I've now installed it three different times. If I download your Unity made game on my iPhone 14 and then next year, because this goes into effect January 1st, I think it's January 1st, 2024, then next year, I upgrade to iPhone 15 and I have to download it again on my new phone. That's another install. So you're essentially, it's just one user using that video game or, or playing that game of yours. But that's now 40 cents if you've gone up above the threshold. And, you know, this is something that obviously will not affect games that are completely free. So, like, there was this developer who created the, these two. Um, small games that exploded last year. They were called Muck and I think Crab Game, which is like a squid game sort of sort of thing. Now that developer was talking about how like, oh, I would owe them $5 million is some crazy number. But that's not actually true because this um, developer, who's just a one-man developer on Unity, he made the decision to not sell his video game. So uh, the video game is completely free to play. So he would... Surpass 200,000 lifetime installs, but it's a combination. So you have to have made uh, $200,000 or more in the last 12 months. So he would not be subject to these fees because he's not making any money off of it. But you have to remember that this would drastically affect if you're a smaller indie developer, you try to do something free to play where you are making money if it's a mobile game, you're making money off of ads. That's revenue. So if you're, if you're making money off of ads, that counts towards those $200,000 or more in the last 12 months. If you're making money off of, you know, pay $5 to remove ads, that's revenue. If you're adding microtransactions to your game, that's revenue, right? And what can essentially happen is that if you have a free-to-play game, you know, naturally with a video game, the more downloads you get, theoretically, the more revenue you're making. But if you're not selling something for a price to begin with, and it's just free to play, those two are not in perfect balance. It's never going to be in perfect balance. So there can be a moment where if you create, let's say I'll use a mobile game as an example, and you made it in Unity, you're using Unity Personal. What can, what can essentially happen is that there is a potential for your game to go viral. Is it rare? Yes, of course, right? Uh, if, you, if you probably put in percentages, it's probably less than 1% of mobile games go viral, right, at any point. Um, but what can essentially happen is that, let's say you were to go viral and you have a free-to-play game where I can just download it and play completely for free. But you surpass or meet that $200,000 threshold and you definitely surpass 200,000 lifetime uh, installs, what can happen is that your game goes, goes viral and now people are installing it like crazy. Now you're up to like a million installs or something like that. But those people that are installing it, there's no guarantee that they're going to pay you those $5 to remove ads. Or maybe there's no guarantee that they're going to install it and then spend enough time for you to make good money off of that ad revenue and now you can be hit with you know a $200,000 bill or whatever it is if you have an extra you know 100,000 installs whatever the math is this is something that could essentially literally bankrupt someone who creates something that is free to play and that's just one of the reasons why a lot of people are extremely upset about this then there's the issue of pirated installs what happens if how do you know if someone stole my video game and installed it and what's interesting about this is that unity doesn't outright say like yeah we can tell the difference don't worry about it Uh, because of course they can't tell the difference because if unity were to somehow tell the difference between a pirated install and a legitimate install then they've created the perfect technology that they can just whitelist and start selling to other publishers Uh, because no one has been able to successfully do this. Uh, Even with DRM companies, um, there has never been this perfect solution to be able to identify a pirated install versus a regular paid-for install. All they say is, quote, We are happy to work with any developer who has been the victim of piracy so that they are not unfairly hurt by unwanted installs. What this basically means is that for Unity, we're going to send you that bill because the bill is automated. If you think there's a mistake, you can tell us there's a mistake and we'll do research. The problem, though, is that all of this research and trust goes through Unity. Unity is is the only one that has access to the data. Unity is now the one that is publicly telling people we have installed tracking data into Unity Runtime. We know uh, the device ID and everything that there is to know when a game is installed. That's kind of another can of worms that developers are not happy with. Now you're talking about privacy laws and a lot of people are talking about does this violate uh, uh, Europe's privacy laws, which are much stronger than they are here in the United States. But the problem is that, once again, you have to trust Unity. So if you go to Unity and say, like, hold on a second, a million, I've had a million installs. These are not legitimate installs uh, because you have access to your own internal data. You're looking how many people bought your game off of Steam or whatever it is. You're saying the the numbers just don't add up. Now you have to basically trust Unity. Now Unity is telling you, like, well, we're going to research it. There are over a million people that use unity to develop game millions of 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 studios millions of small developers and if you have unity personal uh, meaning you're not paying for it because obviously you're brand new to this you don't you just don't have the money to do it yet you're now competing with enterprise you're now competing with people who are paying that two thousand dollars a year per seat and all of those tiers have access to priority customer service uh, how likely do you think it is that you're going to to be able to get through to Unity in order to review your case? And the other problem is that Unity could say, "Yeah, we reviewed it. Nope, looks good on our end." And you basically just have to trust them. It's just it's such an an awfully stupid um, way to go about it. But then it just kind of gets stupider. They also claim that distributors are the ones that are be footing this install bill. So they claim that if your game is on Game Pass, oh, don't worry. It's, you're ba- they're basically telling developers, don't worry about it, it's actually Microsoft that's gonna be paying 20 cents per install if you surpass that. That doesn't make any sense at all. Because now you're you're essentially affecting um, these deals that are already put in place. You know, if a game comes to Game Pass, let's say um, Xbox announces, this game's coming to Game Pass when it when it launches. And they make that announcement, the game comes out in six months. It doesn't mean that when uh, they made that announcement, that contract was made yesterday, right? (laughs) Or was made like a week before, right? These types of negotiations can go on for months. At some point in that game's development cycle, Xbox sees something that they like, they approach them and say, would you guys like to work out a Game Pass deal? They work out the money. uh, They work out the amount that they're going to get paid. And a lot of that calculation that's done Is basically if you put this game on Game Pass, how much money are you going to lose because now a Game Pass subscriber is installing it? They're not paying the $40, $50 or whatever it is to pay your to to, to install your game. And um, that's how that's part of the math that's done to reach the number that they're paying. So there's this company called agro crab games is doing i think it was called another crab's treasure they were expressing some issues with this that game comes out early next year um you know it's coming out on all platforms i believe but it's it's launching on game pass so xbox goes to this studio and they say okay we're gonna pay you whatever a million dollars or whatever it is for you to put this game on game pass now what happens number one is that that million dollar payment before the game even launches, they've surpassed, right? Because they're prob- a studio like that is probably under um, Plus or actually, I think they will probably be under Pro Enterprise, I'm not 100% sure. But either way, 200,000 or a million, they've already met that threshold. Just right off the bat, without even, <laughs> without even uh, launching the game, right? Now, when you are on Game Pass, you have now launched your game to 25 million plus subscribers. By now, Game Pass should probably be at 30 million, especially with the launch of Starfield. It's probably surpassed 30 million. Now you only need uh, 200,000 of those people or 1 million of those people. And now you've hit that threshold. And now every single install after that, you're getting charged uh, 20 cents, 15 cents, whatever the price is depending on your number. And now they're saying that, oh, don't worry, Microsoft is the one that's gonna pay for it. You think Microsoft's gonna be like, okay, I guess guess that's it. I guess that's the new rule. We're gonna have to start playing for, of course not. What this is gonna lead to is either Xbox is gonna come forward and say, hey, every deal that we've put together for Game Pass, we are going to honor it. And that's basically just out of the, that's like out of the kindness of our heart kind of situation where Xbox is saying, okay, we're cool, we're gonna do that either that's going to happen or they're just going to start to restructure Game Pass deals. And they're going to say, yo, we have to go back to the table because something has affected this contract. When we when we created this contract into this agreement with you, this is the amount that we agreed to pay. Now, because you created your game on this engine, our cost just went up. Now we also have to foot this. So I'm sure that there's something in that contract that their lawyers can pull to say, now we have to restructure the contract because something has changed it. Like obviously I'm not a lawyer, but I'll have to safely assume that this is kind of one of those factors that can affect Microsoft telling these developers, we have to come back to the table now. Or this can can sort of outright cancel some of these uh, deals because now Xbox is saying, now we can't pay you this. Because if we look at the analytics, these are how many installs we budgeted that we believe that your game was going to put put out. If we were to um, go ahead with this deal, we're actually going to lose money. So it doesn't make any sense to us. Game Pass doesn't strike Game Pass deals to lose money. That's not, that's not how any of this, this works. So this one announcement is affecting so many different um, things. And... Um, I've never seen the industry so unanimously come together and say, no, this is this is not the way to go about this. Um, and a lot of people are blame, blaming John Rititello, who's the CEO of Unity. He was the CEO of EA back when it was voted like the worst company uh, in America. A lot of people started bringing up this whole um, call where he talked about charging people to reload ammo in Battlefield. And part of that quote was, quote, when you're six hours into playing Battlefield and you run out of ammo in your clip and we ask you for a dollar reload, you're really not that price sensitive at that point in time. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm not surprised this guy was talking about charging people to reload. They're actually completely wrong. That's not what John Richitello was saying. And trust me, I'm not defending John Richitello, but it's important that we clarify uh, what was said Because I heard the entire quote. And it wasn't John Rizzatello sitting down and saying, hey, we should do this. It wasn't him putting it through as a concrete idea. I'm not saying that John Rizzatello probably didn't think about that privately. But during that call, it wasn't something that he was saying for the purpose of saying, hey, we could do this. Excuse me, we should do this. What he was more talking about was the mentality of a player and almost like the sunk cost fallacy that goes into a player's mind. Where if they're playing a game that they didn't pay out the box for, and they're six hours in, um, as you said, you're not price sensitive at that point in time. Once you put that much time into a video game, you're not really double checking in your brain what you're paying for. You're just opening up your wallet. And what he was really talking about was why it works so successfully in mobile games, where if, you're, if you're, you're really enjoying a video game and all of a sudden it says, oh, pay two pay pay two dollars to replenish your gems so you can keep playing or pay a dollar so you can instantly build this building. You're a lot it's a lot easier for you and your brain to go, okay, cool. It's only a dollar. You know, you're not really double checking about you're there's no point in time that you go like, wait a minute. If I really calculate I do the math of all the dollars I pay, I probably already spent like 30 your brain doesn't do that. That's really more what he meant by that battlefield. Uh, line, not saying that John Ritzel probably wouldn't have suggested it to his his personal team, but he really wasn't saying it at that moment as like a concrete idea. But the reason why I wanted to clarify that difference is because it does sort of apply to this unity fee. It's sort of one of those things where I could see John Ritzel and probably the rest of the executives looking at it from that same point of view of like, hey, we have developers that have sunk so much time into developing a video game they're 3 years in if we were to introduce this change there's nothing they can do we can steer them towards what we want them to do but for them shutting everything down and and trying to learn a brand new engine and move everything over it's not yeah you know, a lot of them are just going to eat this they're just going to eat whatever we throw at them it's such a cold-blooded way to look at all of this. But I think that that, that really is part of the mentality of John Riccitello and uh, the rest of the executives. Because the other thing you have to think about this is that there were um, there's something that they put in their FAQ that said, hey, if you work with our ad uh, company, you can lower those fees. And there was a Reddit post from someone who said that they work for a mobile developer that just pumps out these really, you know, these really shitty mobile games that you'd be seeing all the time. And they were told by their Unity rep that they're, they're not going to have to pay this install fee. The reason why is because they are signed on to, to the Iron Source ad um, uh, sort of feature where they have Unity and Iron Source taking care of their in-game ads. So it's like, oh, you're you're signed on to that. That's part of your subscription. So you don't actually have to worry about this. So I think that's what Unity looks at it is they sort of look at it as like, oh, well, well, this is a way for us to make more ad revenue because we're essentially not introducing even a fee, but it's almost like we're introducing a punishment. Like you're going to be punished by not letting us handle your ads. And I think that that's sort of one of the ways that they that they looked at it. Now, it took them six days to apologize their apology went as such, quote, we have heard you, we apologize for the confusion and angst the runtime fee policy we announced on Tuesday caused. We're listening, talking to our team members, community, customers, and partners, and we'll be making changes to the policy. We will share an update in a couple of days. Thank you for your honest and critical feedback. This announcement, to me, I call it uh, a toothpaste out of the tube announcement. You know, when you squeeze out the toothpaste uh, out of that that toothpaste tube, you can't put it back in. And this is essentially what that is, what this is. This is a bridge burning type of announcement. This is one of those things where in a few days, Unity can come forward and say, hey guys, we messed up. We're not going to enact this fee. I personally don't think that's going to happen. But let's say they do that. Let's say they, they go, hey guys, let's go back in time. Let's go back to the time where you guys loved Unity and this announcement never happened. Here's what's gonna happen. Every developer is going to be happy with it. Some may praise it. They're going to uh, be thankful that this campaign against Unity was successful. They're going to finish their game. And the moment that discussions start on working on another game, they're gonna think about what other engine can we use. Unity has 100% burned their bridge. This is something that is irreversible. I believe that the majority of developers will no longer use Unity. They're going to move over to GameMaker's Toolkit or look into Unreal. A lot of people are talking about GoDot. The, um, the, The overwhelming plus of GoDot is that it is an open source engine. Open source means that there is no board of directors, right? There's no... Um, there's no shareholder meeting where they can come together and all of a sudden make this crazy policy change. Since it's open source, you feel a lot safer using that engine into the future. Unity, like I said, they've essentially completely messed up because they've shown themselves that, hey, we will create we can spontaneously create a policy that a is very, very unfair, especially to our most vulnerable developers. But then B, and this is the most important one, the reason why Unity can never be trusted again, Unity has put themselves forward as a company that can change the terms of your agreement anytime that they want. That's the biggest issue with this announcement is the fact that when they made this announcement, they did not say, hey, this announcement only affects future subscribers. This announcement only affects, goes into effect, 2026, when we believe current cycles of games that are using our engine uh, will be finishing their games. No, they said this goes into effect in four months, which means that you are now stuck. If you're creating a video game and you're three years in, you are stuck with this policy that you never agreed to the moment you started creating your video game. And I feel like the most that they'll probably do is maybe make that decision of saying, this will only go into effect for new subscribers, or this will only go into effect the next time you you have to resubscribe, or this will only go into effect when you register a new video game, your next game or something like that, or we're gonna delay something like this to 2026, or maybe they might lower the fee to 10 cents. I don't see them completely throwing this whole thing out of the window, but this is something that there is absolutely nothing that Unity can do to fix this. The only path towards fixing this and regaining trust is you have to start firing people at the top and putting a new figurehead at the top of the company that's going to promise transparency. Then from there, you kind of start rebuilding the trust. You, you, there's no way to regain it unfortunately there's absolutely not, unless unity builds a time machine <laughs> and and goes back in time and, and erases this announcement from all of our brains that's the only way for them to go back to where they were this is and will go down as one of the stupidest um i guess uh executive decisions of all time like literally of all time across any company ever, <laughs> because Unity—it's not like Unity had this monopoly where there's nowhere else to go. The moment this thing went out, Unreal, Godot, Game Maker—all these—all these companies started putting together tutorials. They're like, "Here's some tutorials. Here's what to do. If you need help porting your game, we're going to help you out." They smelled that blood in the water and they were ready, 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 ready to pounce. And it's like I said, there are a lot of developers that unfortunately cannot afford to go to another engine. Uh, I think there's a lot of people that forget that, you know, it's not like you can take all your work in Unity and just take that folder and just go into Unreal and go to Unreal and say, open this folder. And all of a sudden everything's right there, right? You know, you're talking about having to teach yourself another engine that can take months. And then, of course, porting over that work. And then, of course, making sure that it works the way it worked in Unity. It's something that could take a very long time. It's something that that introduces a lot of cost. Um, So I think that there are some people that are hopeful that this gets reversed. And that means that they can successfully launch this game and be happy with it. Um, But it is something that I don't think that they're... I, I, I can see a lot of people being happy with it, launching on Unity And then taking some of that revenue and then moving it to another engine, (laughs) you know, because who knows a year from now, if they introduce something else, And remember, this is something that also affected games that were already out in the market. It's not like this, this only affected games that were not launched yet. The moment this goes into effect in January, if your game is already on steam, it is also a part of this campaign and, you know, unity just no longer can be trusted that at some point in the future, they won't change their terms. And it's just, it's hilarious because Unity could have um, introduced a revenue share. There was just so many other things that they could have done. And they went with the most evil capitalistic idea they can think of, which is you either pay me per install, which is batshit insane to begin with, or you let me handle your ads. That really, to them, shows the type of company that they are. They're not an engine company anymore. They're not a game engine company. They don't give a shit about developers. They don't care about the tools anymore. Uh, It really is. It shows, it's indicative of so many other companies where people swoop in, they go public and then it's just like stripping the company down to the bare bones, selling it off. And it's just like, I'm just trying to quadruple the amount of money I paid for this stock, quadruple the amount of money I made for this, and then whatever, just sell the bones, fire everybody. I don't care. Money is really the only thing that matters to Unity at this point. And yeah, it's it's not it's not too much to say that they royally fucked up, and there is no coming back for this company. Next week's hot releases: we have a bunch. September nineteenth, Lies of P. PC, PS4, P5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, also coming to Game Pass. Mortal Kombat 1, PC, PS5, Switch, Xbox Series X, BitTrip Rerunner, coming to PC. September 20th, we have Party Animals, PC, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, Game Pass. September 21st, Payday 3, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and Game Pass. Really good Game Pass week. Resident Evil 4, the separate Waves DLC. September 21st, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. Tokyo Game Show, Xbox Digital Broadcast coming at 5 a.m. Eastern. If you want to wake up early to see that. September 22nd, we have EA Sports FC 24, PC, PS4, PS5, Switch, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. And finally, Pikmin 1 Plus 2, physical copies coming to Switch. Time for us to wrap it up to stories we didn't have time to get to, Bethesda has detailed its initial plans for new features and updates for Starfield, including brightness and contrast controls, HDR calibration menu, FOV slider, NVIDIA DLSS support, 32x9 ultra-wide monitor support, and an eat button for food. Pretty much almost every complaint I found <laughs> when the game first launched. Uh, I think this is cool, but I'm sorry. If you're talking about like, yeah, guys, we're going to keep adding to the game, Don't bring up stuff that uh, should have absolutely been there at launch. Uh, With all due respect, Bethesda, I'm loving Starfield, but I'm not going to praise you for adding brightness controls (laughs) to your video game. That's not going to happen. Apple held an event last week where they announced iPhone 15 and revealed that the pro version was powerful enough to run console versions of games at 30 FPS with ray tracing. Resident Evil 4 Remake and Resident Evil Village are releasing later this year. Assassin's Creed Mirage and the Division Resurgence are releasing next year. So this is kind of one of the things that Phil Spencer was talking about a long time ago, about Apple, Amazon, and some of these other companies being true competitors. Um and this is this is this is it right here. Right? When you look at these games, they actually didn't look half bad. Um and then the fact that you can already connect an Xbox or PlayStation controller, I'm not sure what the um what that looks like in terms of can you cast these over to a television then right there then it becomes kind of a game changer because these games are not going to be sold for more than 50 dollars i think they're going to be 50 bucks each when you think about these games maybe something like village if i was capcom i would probably sell for like 30 or 40 um or something like that mirage would probably be like 30 or 40 because the full version is 50 bucks um But it'll be interesting to see how these, uh, perform playing just on a cell phone is horrible. Like they showed, they showed a screenshot of what Resident Evil is with all the, uh, controls laid over awful. This is an awful way to play any of these video games. But if it's something that these games can be streamed over into, uh, a television, yeah, that's going to get really interesting over the next few years, um, yeah I mean, we'll just have to kind of wait and see but you know if you have access to something like uh resident Evil 4 remake which is a really amazing game and uh you already have a cell phone because that's like this essential product now for every single consumer and you combine this with the fact that at some point there probably is going to be an uh, a phone from samsung that's going to do the same thing so capcom can now double dip when it comes to this it's it's really key and important because there will come a day that a game is going to come out for uh, iOS and have really good console quality. It's not going to look as good as a PlayStation 5, but it's going to launch on there. And I think there are there are going to be a subset of people that are going to go, okay, you know, I'd rather pay $50 for the cell phone version I can take anywhere. It's going to get really, really interesting, especially with the fact that Apple is not allowing Game Pass and all these other services. It's going to get interesting. NBA 2K24 is currently the second worst reviewed Steam game ever. The majority of the backlash is due to the fact that the PC version supports of the PS4 and Xbox One version rather than the PS5 and Xbox Series X versions. I love how every year you have 2K players that will buy the game and then complain. So they, they purchase the game and then they complain about how predatory it is. So some people are complaining about how you can, you know... Uh, they have like the battle pass, and you could pay like a hundred bucks and just skip the whole battle pass and get the mascot at the end. I'm like, you can't buy this game and then complain about how predatory the monetization uh, is. You are also part of the problem now, if especially if you're an, an influencer in this space, you take the free game, right? NBA sends you the game for free. Some, you know, a lot of times they give you the early access. If you sit there and you say, "Yeah, I'm going to keep playing this game." Well, you are, you're also part of the problem, you know? That's why it's like sometimes I, I do have respect for some of these other creators. When you think about someone like Asmongold, who's really into like these ARPGs, and um, he plays a game like Diablo 4, and he was like, yeah, this game's kind of crap, and he kind of just stops playing it. He is essentially one of those people that are, are affecting the future of that franchise, because once he stops streaming it, that's a big, big deal. But you guys continue to stream and play and buy this damn game. There's no reason for them to stop. That's why the monetization has gotten worse. It hasn't gotten any better. And finally, Marvel's Avengers has dropped to 3 dollars before it's deleted forever. And September 30th, the game will be delisted. This is really sad to see. Uh, I don't care what you thought about this game, garbage or not. Uh, you shouldn't be applauding a game being delisted after all that work that went into it. I think that's pretty awful. Look for four bucks. I actually think the campaign is worth it. I'm even personally considering buying it on Steam uh, before it's deleted to play the campaign again. I actually did have some fun with it, and I think this is something you can have fun with 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 other players just to play the, the through the campaign or play some of the multiplayer missions. Uh, and everything is completely unlocked for four bucks. I'd say give it a try. That's our show. Shout out to Ascendant Studios, the team behind Immortals of Avium, who announced nearly half of the development team, has been laid off. Very, very sorry to hear that. I played the game. The game is not very good. I'm going to be honest with you. This is kind of a... uh, Whoever was heading and directed this game and made a lot of decisions, you made a lot of poor decisions. Like bringing in actors, that's an unnecessary cost. Um... Just, there's, there was a lot about this game that unfortunately was never going to work. And a lot of people were blaming wh- when it released. Like, oh, it released around all these other games. I actually don't think it would have mattered. You could have released this without anything else around it. I don't think it would have done very well. Uh, bright side is that development team was one of the first to launch an Unreal Engine 5 game. So that, that looks pretty good on a resume. So hopefully... Uh, people find jobs quickly shout out to stig Osmondson, the director of both star wars jedi games has left respawn entertainment hasn't said where he's going or if he's retiring or anything and then finally shout out to stalker 2 devs gsc game world last week a floor of their office was damaged by a fire there i don't think this development team has gone through as much hardship as that team when it comes to uh launching a game so best of luck to them Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Camp Koji Future Updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I'll see you all next week.